meeting in um, August, is that right? Yeah. So we have August and September to go over, and there's uh, lots to pray for, as always. Um, I hope you understand that being able to sow God's word into the lives of these people is very important to the Lord. Uh, it really is. And so I don't ever want to for anybody to take it lightly or to think that this is just something we do or, you know, listening to these stories about these people is kind of interesting, but it's not, you know, uh, it really, really is important to God that we operate as a family. And just as you wouldn't want to see these things happen to your own family members, your own children, uh, even people you know in the body of Christ. So we want to make their lives better, uh, one, through preventing so much devastation that happened to people through our prayers and also through praying for the uh, survivors, family members who have lost uh, loved ones to martyrdom just because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that there wants done lightly and don't take the authority of his name lightly. It's not just a handle we put on the end of our prayers but demons tremble at that name power is released in that name. All power in heaven and earth is given in that name there's the, no other name given under heaven by which men will be saved and so that name is very very powerful and once we understand the impact of, of just praying in his name and standing in his authority, uh, then we'll, we'll have more confidence in what we do. Uh, your life will be more joyful because you'll see victory everywhere and you'll see God able to move because of what we do. Things will change for these people if we pray. And so I'm just, um, just totally sold on sowing prayer into the lives of people who depend on others for their prayers depend on others for help we do contribute monthly to Voice of the Martyrs uh, so that they can help people uh, get out of these places and also help them to learn more about the Lord and, and have churches and Bible studies where they can study all of the things that we can do, they are entitled to do as well and do it in peace and liberty and freedom. So it's not like things aren't going to change for them. Don't ever think that. Because in an instant, God works in the suddenlies. And sometimes you'll look and suddenly a new government has taken over. And then they proclaim Jesus as Lord of that nation. You know what I'm saying? And so we, we always pray and we always uh, empathize with, with these people because there is persecution here. It's not so overt sometimes and but it's persecution is persecution uh, there's an enemy out there trying to stop the gospel and so we we want to fight that enemy on every front you know people say things well you know that's way over there and you're way over here what difference does it make you know god is god everywhere and people need prayer everywhere so uh, we're going to I'm going to read you a few stories um, from different nations the nation of Eritrea is on the coast of Africa. Let me see where it is exactly. We had a map right here. Some of these people are just so handsome. You know, it's... 
cheap bones to die for. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I said, kill for those cheekbones. You know, just beautiful faces. And Jesus is a smile on their faces. Amen. It really, really is. Uh, it's, let me see where this is on the map. I said I was looking for that. I started staring at people again. Yeah, why don't I see it on the map again? Oh, there's the map. It's um, right on the coast near the Red Sea. It's between Africa and um, and uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, uh, right across the peninsula from um, from the um, from. Iraq and Jordan, Lebanon and Israel, of course, and it's next to the Sudan and Ethiopia. And so these are are areas where there's a lot of unrest, especially from Muslim factions in these countries. They can be especially brutal to Christians. And so we have to really pray and pray for this nation that we will vet people who come into this country so that we don't get overrun uh, by them. A woman by the name of Brigitte Gabriel, if you don't know who she is, Google her name and you can get an understanding of her story. Uh, but she tells a testimony uh, that her parents were childless and at age 15 she was born, you know, to her parents. And she believes that her birth was timely for events in this nation. Uh, she she came to this country. They, they were imprisoned almost uh, by the Muslims uh, in Lebanon. That's where she's originally from. She lived in a cave for most half of her life. And uh, her parents always told her that if the Muslims ever broke in, if, if the terrorists broke in, and that she was was to run for the border uh, over into Israel, and uh, so she said every night they would pray that the Americans would come and rescue them, and they never did. You got me. There are people who depend on this nation for their freedom. You got me. We've signed contracts with other nations. The United Nations is supposed to be uh, a, a human rights advocating uh, group and also a peacekeeping force in the earth and they don't do half of what they propose to do amen so there's a lot of corruption everywhere folks in governments and we have to understand that God is uprooting a lot of this nonsense and mischief so that people can receive the protection they like and they need but they were eventually liberated and it was the Israelis that came and uh, conquered the the, the uh, terrorists and set her family free. But she said that when she, she st- moved to the United States, she started seeing familiar things happen here as happened in Lebanon. And one of those things were people embracing wholesale Muslims, even the terrorists and the radical Muslims, that people in this nation, she was saying, please don't make that mistake. So she uh, thought about starting her group and then when September 11th, 2001 occurred, she said she laid 
laid on her couch and cried all night. And God told her to start a group so that she could educate people as to their methods of infiltrating different nations and uh, taking over. They're, they don't want to live beside us, folks. They don't want to get a job and be your neighbor and, uh, you know, would you be my, could you be my, won't you be my, that ain't them. They are to eradicate everybody. If you don't convert, they shoot you on. They have no need for you. And so it's it's really a horrible way for them to live, but they have decided to take up that cause. Sons of Ishmael, the Bible says, every man will be a wild man and every man will be against him and his hand would be against every man. So there is not a nation of people that they are friendly toward. They want to rule and, and subdue and kill everybody but God amen you can't have what God has already chosen as his and so the more we can claim people for Christ the more we can preach the gospel the more we can pray for freedom for these people to worship God and to serve him the more we fight against that oppression that the enemy is sending uh, through that one religion so I'm just very thankful that God has opened our eyes to what really needs to be done and I'm very thankful that he's given us the opportunity to pray. So anyway, uh, proclaiming the gospel in a prison nation. So that's Eritrea. It's that Christians living in Eritrea, located on the Horn of Africa along the Red Sea, suffer some of the most horrific religious persecution occurring today. The Eritrean government opposes and zealously persecutes believers who openly share their faith or worship outside state-approved churches. So this is the whole thing that most of these countries that persecute Christians have some kind of system of state-approved church that they have to set it up and you have to say what they tell you to say and you have to you know all of that and so if you're free in Christ you know you don't need that and you're not going to bow down to that and so we see that time and again and pretty much every nation that we've studied um, has that thing about it that they want to control what you say they want to control what you think they want to control what you believe and so this is a worldwide devil that is coming to oppress people and see people in this nation don't think that's possible you know it's like you know like uh, the the church in Germany they said during World War II uh, they said they at first they came for the Jews and the churches you know they sang louder then they came for you know the next group of people and they sang louder and every group of people they came to take because you know when the sirens would go off they would drown it out with their singing until finally they came for the church amen and there was nobody left to sing so we have to be ever vigilant and understand that these things this isn't like a scare tactic or uh, you know a conspiracy theory this stuff is real I mean, the devil really wants to snuff people out and not let them be free to. He wants to take everybody to hell with him. Amen. And so, but God. Amen. 
also. It says here, yet even as thousands of Christians are killed, imprisoned, and or forced to leave, Eritreans continue to place their faith in Christ, understanding that he alone is their hope amid desperate circumstances. And despite 16 years of oppression, many Christian, Christians in Eritrea have willingly paid the price for boldly and obediently proclaiming the gospel to their lost neighbors. Uh, Yemen, a soldier of the cross. Yemen gazed at the patch of sky visible through the opening in the ground some six feet above his head. His arms were bound behind him and his throat was parched from hours without water. Although it was hard to gauge the time as he stared up at the light shining through the opening above, his previous detentions in the subterranean cell had ranged from 12 to 48 hours. Once again, Yemen was in the hole because he could not keep his faith to himself at age 35 he had been drafted into the military during the two and a half year border war with Ethiopia a dedicated Christian Yemen faithfully shared the gospel with other soldiers even though his supervisors opposed it on one occasion an officer called him into his office and beat him with a stick saying this is because you are a Christian he had been sent to the hole five separate times for telling other soldiers about Jesus but Yemen continued to share the gospel at every opportunity. After punishing him repeatedly for nine years, his commanders finally gave up and sent him to prison in 2009. Conditions were brutal in the Adi Nefas military prison where Yemen spent the next three years. Most of the prisoners slept on newspapers and none had a bed. The men in each cell shared a plastic bottle as a urinal and they were limited to two bathroom breaks per day. Out of the 1,000 military prisoners in Adi Nefas, only 10 were Christians. But Yemen had a small pocket Bible that he tore into four parts and hid from the guards, and the small group of believers managed to study the Bible together in secret. In addition, Yemen continued the, the very work for which he had been imprisoned, sharing the gospel with fellow inmates. Whenever I preached, he said, the soldiers beat me. I thought of Jesus on the cross and did not feel the pain. You got it? Your cure for pain? Amen. Prison authorities, further annoyed by his boldness, eventually locked Yemen in a small concrete room by himself. For a while, they allowed him to come out a few times a week to cut the hair of other prisoners, but inevitably, Yemen shared Jesus with the men as he cut their hair. When the authorities caught on, they revoked his last privilege and left him in handcuffs, even when eating or using the bathroom. After six months in solitary confinement, the intense heat and dehydration triggered a stroke. I collapsed in a coma, Yemen said, and was unconscious for 14 days. The stroke left him disabled, so in July 2012, he was released because of poor health. Authorities often release extremely ill prisoners because those who die in prison are sometimes viewed as heroes. Christian prisoners are also sometimes released when relatives can be persuaded to sign an agreement with or without the prisoner's permission, stating that he or she will not share the gospel or meet with other Christians. You see how powerful the gospel is? The devil is so afraid of our message. Amen. 
Although a signed statement is often all that is required to purchase freedom, many Christians refuse to compromise their faith. Two years after his release, Humane was granted permission to travel outside the country for medical treatment. Today, he lives in a refugee camp in um, in the, the neighboring con- country of Ethiopia, home to more than 30,000 Eritreans who fled their homeland, but he hopes to return one day. To support himself, Yemane manages a small business from his wheelchair, selling nail clippers, scissors, and combs on a small table set up along the sidewalk. Though he doesn't have much, he gives away most everything he earns and is known for uh, known for looking after the street children. He is also a committed member of a local church as well and is well-liked in the refugee camp. Voice of the Martyrs is helping pay for physical therapy to improve his ongoing health issues. Pray for my healing so I can serve the Lord, he said. Pray for the people of Eritrea that they may be free. Amen. All right. So this one is Helen, who sings a new song in prison. Unlike many other Eritreans, talented gospel singer Helen Berhane did not hold a positive view of the independence her country had won from Ethiopia in 1991. Instead of worshiping God, she said people started worshiping the government. She sensed that political change would bring persecution for Eritrean believers, and she feared that many were not committed enough to withstand it. Motivated by Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. She began to prepare herself for persecution by sharing the gospel wherever she could. She carried her Bible everywhere, telling people about Christ in the streets, in hospitals, anywhere she could start a conversation. God created me to tell others, she said, not to stay in church all my life. The persecution Helen expected became evident to the Christian community just a few just a few years later, on May 15, 2002, the government banned all religious groups and churches except those affiliated with Islam or with Eritrean Orthodox, Roman Catholic, or Lutheran churches. All of them did, right? Many journalists and opposition political candidates were already in prison and now it was time for the Christians to join them. Prominent church leaders became the first targets. In 2003, authorities arrested arrested uh, Obama Michael Hamino, senior pastor of a large independent church in Asmara, before conducting a massive nationwide sweep in 2004, resulting in many more arrests, including leaders of the Full Gospel Church. The Masawa Rama Church and even members of the Eritrean Orthodox Church who were deemed too evangelical. Um, Jesus. Oh, Oba Michael was released in May 2018. Amen. As this newsletter was in production. After silencing the church leaders, government authorities began arresting anyone who continued to meet outside the small group of approved churches. Most evangelicals had gone underground after the government banned meeting at odd hours in different Christians' homes. Understanding the risk of openly sharing her faith, Helen turned her efforts towards secret discipleship meetings for young people 
Then in 2004, she released an album of gospel music for the underground church and authorities took notice. At 2 a.m., soldiers burst into Helen's Bible study, arresting everyone present. Most of the soldiers were totally drunk, she said. They beat us severely with a stick before taking us to the police station. The next day, they were taken to prison. In addition to the 28 known detention centers in Eritrea, human rights groups estimate the existence of as many as 360 facilities housing at least 10,000 prisoners. The prisoners are often former storage uh, the prisons are often former storage facilities, buildings constructed with corrugated metal, shipping containers, small islands just off the coast, or underground bunkers. Helen's prison was a steel shipping container. Sometimes she was confined with so many women that she couldn't lie down, and at other times she was completely alone. As punishment, the guards once locked her up for 10 months with a mentally ill woman who lunged at her, slapped her, and grabbed her hair. Sleep was almost impossible. Helen's interrogators repeatedly tried to persuade her to renounce her Christian faith, beating her, and leaving her chained to a pole in the desert sun for days. She said her captor singled her out for particularly bad treatment because of her notoriety as a gospel singer. Throughout the mental and physical torture she endured in a in appalling conditions, Helen followed the example of Paul and Silas in Acts 16, singing hymns to God. When I was in prison, worshiping gave me strength, she explained. A Christian military draftee named Alem, who was detained near Helen, recalls hearing both her songs of praise and her cries to God during torture. We could hear her crying, and we also heard crying out to God, he said. After two years in prison, Helen was released on medical grounds. Her leg had, legs had atrophied due to severe torture and the conditions of her imprisonment. She left the country shortly after her release in a wheelchair, but with therapy regained her ability to walk. She gives God the glory for her healing. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Mulu, no longer silent. Mulu Suleiman and her husband, Kiros, were active church members when he was arrested in 2000. After hearing nothing from him for several years, she finally learned around 2004 that he had been executed in prison along with several other believers. Mulu defiantly continued attending church, facing repeated imprisonments between 2004 and 2012. Then in March 2012, she and 24 other Christians were arrested in a raid on a secret on a secret church meeting in her home. Again in prison, she suffered frequent torture while stubbornly resisting the authorities' demands that she sign a document renouncing her faith. How could I do this, she said. I would prefer to die. Every night, prison authorities would take some of the women away and rape them. During the day, at least one or two in the morning, it happened at any time, she said, they would beat me or rape me. Mulu was released in 2013 after being 
becoming seriously ill, later learning that she had contracted HIV. Having lost everything she had and enduring repeated imprisonment, Mulu and her teenage son made the dangerous decision to free their homeland for the relative safety of Ethiopia. Although 120,000 military troops stationed at the border have a shoot-to-kill policy for those trying to leave, many Eritreans willingly take the risk in order to escape their oppressive government. Proof of their desperation is found in the thousands of Eritrean refugees pouring into Ethiopia and surrounding countries or working their way toward Europe. So they escape when they can escape. Amen. Amen. This is a story about this uh, man whose wife was killed, Afrowerki, for giving his wife's killers. Afrowerki Nagasi is well aware that believers still die in Eritrean prisons. He is reminded of it every day as he raises his four children alone. His wife, um, Kadu, and their 17-year-old son were arrested on May 14, 2017, in the middle of the night after being accused of attending a nighttime prayer meeting. Two months later, he was also arrested. Prison conditions were poor. There was little food, only muddy water, river water to drink, and no relief from the searing temperatures. In addition, prisoners were beaten regularly. All the women were ill, especially my wife, he recalls. She didn't eat or drink for a week. No medical treatment was provided in the camp, and on August 8, 2017, she collapsed. They took her from the camp in an ambulance, and he never saw her again. He learned of her death three months later when he was released. About 3,000 Christians were in prison at the height of the government crackdown but that number had declined to around 170 believers by 2016. Last year, however, there was another wave of arrests in which government authorities detained entire gatherings of Christians at once, including children and even infants. An estimated 300 to 400 Christians were arrested in 2017. Upon his release from prison, Afwerki determined to follow his wife's example. At home, I cried and cried, he said, but I am happy that my wife was a Christian hero, that she died for Christ. Authorities warned him not to attend prayer meetings, and although he agreed, he knew he would never obey. I will not stop praying, he said. I will tell the Lord, I will tell that the Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. Realizing there was a strong chance he would be arrested again, Afwerki decided to leave the country. To reach Ethiopia, he and his children had to make it past two groups of Eritrean guards. If caught, he knew his older children would be forced into the military, the younger ones taken to a prison camp. In addition, they risked stepping on landmines or being attacked by hyenas in the desert. They traveled by night, walking four for four days with nothing to eat. On the third day, they slept in a cave. My children were crying and we were praying without end, he said. Miraculously, the family of five crossed safely into Ethiopia where they now live in a refugee camp like so many other Eritrean Christians. At least in the camp, the children are able to sing the church, uh, the church choir without fear. 
The Bible taught us that we should take up our cross, he said. We have to lose our life for Christ, and it happened to my wife. This is the history of Christianity. It is not strange. It is not something new. F. Worky does not know what the future holds for his family, but he trusts that the Lord will care for him and his children. He asks us to pray for Eritrea and especially for suffering Eritrean Christians. He also encourages us to pray for the Eritrean government rather than curse it for his hatred of Christians. I don't hate them because they tortured my wife. They didn't know what they were doing. I would like all Christians in the world to pray that our government will accept the gospel. That quirky sentiment is common among Eritrean believers. While they have suffered greatly, they continue to love those responsible for their suffering. Helen Brain's eyes fill with tears as she spoke of President Isaiah. If I met him, I would tell him how much I love him, she said. One day, I'm sure those people who tortured me will become the best believers because Jesus died for everybody. Eritrea remains a nation of prisons, but many Christians like Humane, Helen, Mulu, and F. Worky are ready to sacrifice everything for Christ instead of silencing their faith. Persecution has only amplified it. They understand what is at stake when they share the gospel or worship outside the walls of approved Christian churches and they still choose Christ. They and a growing number of other Eritreans know that even a prison nation cannot bind a heart that has found freedom in Christ. Amen. So we'll pray for the, their request, the government, and pray for the Christians who are in that country still. And... Um, let me see. Pray for healing. That one lady uh, needs healing. Helen, I think, still is getting, yeah, getting her therapy. So God knows how to rescue the righteous from temptation. Amen. He really does. He really, really does. We don't want to see this happen to anybody, but we know what the truth is. You know, it happens, and so we're just thankful that God has raised up people who will pray and who will help. <clears throat> Uh, okay, this one is from, I'm sorry, where is this from? Sorry about that. Ah, I think I better start reading through here and see. Uh-oh. Okay, so there's different countries represented here. I kind of thought that, but I didn't want to jump up and say that. We'll talk about Celia, her costly choice. Celia was still grieving her husband's death when Habib Kabunda started visiting her small village in Uganda. Although he was a Muslim and she was a Christian, Habib had been a friend of Celia's husband. So when he proposed marriage, Celia's tribe voted that she should marry him, but Celia and Celia accepted. Her children needed a father. She had no means of supporting her family. After the marriage, which required Celia to convert to Islam, Habib moved into Celia's mud-walled house where they had children together and eventually became a family of nine. Habib worked, Celia managed the household, and life seemed to return to normal. As the years passed, however, Celia became increasingly uneasy with her adopted Islamic faith. She felt empty and depressed 
and the words of the clerics at the, gos- at the mosque meant nothing to her. Recognizing that the problem was spiritual, she knew she had a decision to make. I realized I had to stop right there and return to Christ, she said. Celia left the mosque and returned to church, even though she and Habib often fought about it. Her Christian faith became more central to her life, and she knew she would never return to Islam. Then one day, Habib went to work and never came home. Days later, he called to tell her he was leaving her because she had become a Christian. He told her that he couldn't live with her anymore and that he was leaving her to starve. While she could have taken an easier path and remained a nominal Muslim, she knew her relationship with Christ was worth the hardship. She trusted God to take care of her family. Habib never said why he wanted to marry a Christian widow, but the Ugandan church leader said it falls in line with the Muslim conversion strategy in Uganda. According to the church leader, Brother Stephan, Muslims are rewarded if they marry a Christian with the highest rewards going to those who manage to marry a pastor's daughter. While more than 80% of Ugandans consider themselves Christians, the work of Islamic missionaries as well as financial and educational incentives are persuading a growing number to convert to Islam. In the past three years, Islam has grown by 7%. Especially in the north, we have some areas where the Muslims are taking over, Brother Stephen said. With seven children to feed, Celia had never had never had enough food for her family. They were slowly slowly starving, their ragged clothes hanging off thin shoulders. Celia tried to make extra money by doing gardening work for other people, but it wasn't enough to support her family. And although friends from church shared what they could, they didn't have much to spare either. Soon the children had to quit school because Celia couldn't afford tuition and she couldn't even afford the medicine to treat her youngest for typhoid. Adding to her suffering and humiliation, her ex-husband's family watched carefully, gloating that her Christian faith wasn't going to save her from starving. That's when Celia's pastor called the local Voice of the Martyr Worker for help. Upon arriving at Celia's home, the Voice of the Martyr Worker was deeply saddened by the family situation. It was worse than he had expected. Everyone in the tiny one-room house slept on banana leaves and sack stuffed with grass. The malnourished children often received only one meal each day, and the mud house looked like it would collapse on their heads. With Voice of the Martyr support, Celia's family family has been doing better over the past year. She has been able to reinforce the walls of her house and add another room, and she bought mattresses and clothing for her children. In addition, the Voice of the Martyr worker visited the family recently and took the children shopping for school supplies, enabling them to wear shoes for the first time in their lives on the first day of school. Celia's pastor and church family are grateful that she is being provided for and even the larger community recognizes how she is being helped through the body of Christ. One day, as a voice of the martyr worker purchased items for Celia's family in the local market, he overheard someone say, the Lord has really answered that woman's prayers. When she returned to Christ, everyone thought she would die quickly. Her husband's relatives had been waiting to see her fail, but the Lord has given her a smile. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
Though Celia has faced many difficulties because of her decision to leave her husband's Islamic faith, she has trusted God as her provider through it all. Today she attends a nearby church where the local Christians know her story and continue to support her. Her pastor, a former Muslim, understands what she has gone through and is able to provide encouragement when she needs it. And the voice of the martyr worker who still visits the family regularly has noted a change in her demeanor. Celia now smiles. This is a sign of gratitude for the miracle the Lord is doing in their lives, he said. There is a new life in Celia's little mud house. The walls and roof have been repaired and the family now sleeps on mattresses with blankets and sheets. Each workday morning, the children walk to school in their new shoes and each evening they pray together on the floor of their now sturdy home. The four walls that couldn't hide their poverty and humiliation now shelter a family renewed through the love of their brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is a picture of her son smiling. (laughs) Amen. I always like pictures of their children because children are so, you know, open and innocent. You just know what's going on from what their faces tell you. So, okay. Now this last one we'll we'll read is Hassan's story. Uh, Let me see. Peter. The Blessing of a Prison Cell. Uh, editor's note, our October 2017 newsletter features the story of Voice of the Martyrs, former regional director for Af- Africa, Peter Jasik, who was in prison for 15 months in Sudan. The following story is about a Sudanese pastor, Reverend Hassan, who was in prison with Peter. Uh, with Peter. Hassan's story helps us understand the systematic and extreme persecution faced by our Christian brothers and sisters in Sudan. Hassan's appearance at a pastor's conference in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, was a response to what he believed was God's call for him to focus on persecution. In fact, just months earlier, he had turned down a second term as Secretary General of the Sudan Church of Christ so he could help prepare churches for persecution at a more grassroots level. During the November 2015 conference in Ethiopia, he told pastors about the increasing persecution his eight congregations were facing in Sudan. Among those in the audience during Hassan's presentation was Peter Jessick, the Czech national who served as Voice of the Martyrs Regional Director for Africa at the time. Peter was especially moved by the photograph Hassan showed of a young Christian man who had been injured during a demonstration. Weeks later, Peter traveled to Khartoum to meet the injured man and arranged to help cover his medical expenses. After a four-day visit, Peter prepared to leave the country. That's when Hassan experienced what he considers one of the greatest blessings of his life. Peter was arrested at the airport, Hassan said, and then through investigations they discovered that he had visited me and other people. That is why they arrested me. Sudanese 
Authorities entered Hassan's home at 11 a.m. on December 18, 2015. They confiscated laptops, passports, and books on persecution, including one entitled Standing Firm in the Storms, before escorting him from the house. His wife and five children were frozen with fear as they watched authorities force him into a waiting vehicle. Though Hassan didn't know it, Peter and the Reverend Kua Shamal, who also spoke at the conference in Ethiopia, had already been arrested Uh, and soon Another man who had been collecting funds to help the injured man whom Peter had met would be joining them. Police interrogated all four men all that night at the police station, pointedly questioning Hassan about his relationship with Peter, the conference in Ethiopia, and how they had worked together to help the young man in Khartoum. The men were then taken to a prison operated by the National Intelligence Service of Sudan and placed in separate cells. Two days after arriving at the prison, they faced further interrogation. Realizing he wasn't likely to be released soon, Hassan gradually began to see a larger purpose for his detainment. I used to travel to churches in other cities to prepare them for persecution and to talk to them about that book the officers took from me, he said. I was preparing the church, but I was also preparing myself for this time. I was not sad that I was in prison. This is the church, and this is the price of our faith. Since the 1970s, Sudan's Sunni-dominated government has systematically intimidated, arrested, imprisoned, and tortured Christians. Short-term detentions are an increasingly common form of harassment. Hassan said the NISS prison was the worst of the five prisons in which he was held. He slept on the floor of a tiny cell with a small window through which he could see nothing but sky. He felt cold and completely alone. Still, as a Sudanese man, Hassan was granted more respect than Peter, who endured regular beatings in the cell he shared with sympathizers of the self-proclaimed Islamic State. Few inmates threatened a few inmates threatened Hassan too, simply because of his ties to Peter. The hardest part of imprisonment for Hassan was the inability to communicate with his family. He wanted them to know he was alive, and they had in fact heard rumors that he had died in prison. In the end, all the suffering Hassan faced helped him to trust in God's will and find an ever-growing peace in Jesus Christ. In the spring of 2016, authorities moved Hassan and the other three men to another prison where they were reunited and unexpectedly granted more religious freedom and better treatment. In this prison, the two others that were allowed to read the Bible share the gospel with other inmates and even attend church services inside the prison. We were busy, Hassan said. Me, Peter, and Pastor Kua used to preach every day. Some of those they preached to were hardened criminals. Occasionally one would be taken away to be hanged for murder. We used to prepare them, pray with them, and encourage them, Hassan said. In one of the prisons where they were held, Hassan, Kua, and Peter led church services for 300 inmates. They were told repeatedly that the prison had never experienced such a hunger for God's word and such a strong fellowship among prisoners. 
Hassan will never forget the day after five months in prison when he finally got to see his family. When he returned to his cell following the court ex- the court ex- appearance, his wife and mother were sitting on his bed waiting for him. When my wife saw me, she just ran and jumped on me and was crying, he said. After that day, Hassan's wife was able to visit him regularly. At first, the visits were limited to 20 minutes, but they later increased to 45 minutes. Hassan ta- thanked God for each minute he was able to spend with his wife. Throughout his imprisonment, Voice of the Martyrs and the local church helped support Hassan's family. In August 2016, the Sudanese government formally but falsely charged the men with several crimes, including espionage and conspiring against the state. Hassan and the other men faced a potential death penalty or life imprisonment. Although subjected to a series of exhausting court appearances, all four men were continually encouraged in a variety of ways. They knew Voice of the Martyr supporters were praying for them, and they also knew people were working for their release. When the hymns, then the hymns began. On the days when a court hearing was scheduled, Sudanese believers gathered alongside the road outside the courthouse singing and worshiping together. Even though the court doors and, court doors and windows were closed, those inside could hear them lifting praise to God and encouraging their brothers inside. I thank God so much because this is the time that people hear the worship songs. It was really amazing. I thank God for that. In January 2017, Kua was released from prison due to lack of evidence against him. He has spent more than a year in prison, even though he wasn't even in Sudan during Peter's visit. Following a lengthy trial, Sudan and, and Adulaman were sentenced to 12 years each for helping Peter provide aid to the injured Sudanese Christian. Peter received a life sentence, the equivalent of 20 years, on convictions of spying and conducting humanitarian work without a permit among other charges. After serving 445 days in prison, Peter was granted a presidential pardon and released on February 26, 26. Two months later, on May 11, Hassan and Abdulaman were also released. Upon his release, Hassan was warned that authorities would continue to monitor his activities, knowing this would put further strain on his family and draw additional scrutiny to the church he decided to leave Sudan. Today, Hassan and his family, as well as Abdulaman, live in a rural town in the eastern United States where they await the decision on their asylum requests and consider what God has planned for them next. The transition to a new culture and way of life has been difficult for his children, ages 7 to 20, but overall the family is grateful. The local church has helped them make the transition, and Voice of the Martyr has helped with some specific expenses. Hassan remains in contact with his congregations, which are still active despite being targeted by the government most of them are happy that I am here because they were worried when I was in Sudan that something would happen to me looking back on the last three years Hassan said he has nothing but gratitude in his heart, he wouldn't change a thing, he wouldn't even cut one day off his time in prison I realize that God loves me so much, he gave me the privilege to share one of his hard times he said, really I thank God for that time, it was a blessing for me and I believe it is a blessing for the church in Sudan Amen, praise God Amen, Amen, God is good praise God 
So we're going to pray. I'm going to get my prayer out, and um, we'll pray for Sudan. Uh, we'll pray for um, these other countries that we just mentioned. Let me see here. Um, anybody have a calendar with them so we can make sure we pray for whatever country is on the calendar for today? Ooh, I got a lot of stuff here. Anybody? You got one, Nola? Okay. Let me get a pen so I can write down. Hang on. Which one? Malaysia. Malaysia. Okay. I diddle around with these pens all day long. And they get away from me anyway. God. Yeah, the devil is a liar. Okay, so um, so what was it again, Nola, that I can write down? Which country? Malaysia. Malaysia. Okay. Imprisoned. And um, then we have Eritrea. I know that. Helen, was it Helen for to be healed? Okay. And Sudan. Yeah, I think we got everything. Who was that? Ethiopia. Yeah, that's where they escaped to. Okay, all right, we'll get started. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, we worship you and magnify you. Thank you, Lord. Just put it up on there, Diane. We lift you up, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised and adored, worthy to be glorified and magnified. Lord, you are highly exalted. You are high and lifted up. You are high and lifted up above all gods, and we thank you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We extol you, God. We thank you, Lord. You're worthy to be praised, worthy to be glorified and magnified. Thank you, Lord. We exalt you, Jesus. We bless you. We praise your holy name. We praise the name of Jesus. We exalt the name of Jesus. We glorify and magnify the precious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are high and lifted up. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are God of all creation. You are God of the universe. You are God of all things and we thank you Lord and we call upon you as the God of all things Lord we thank you we want to see your intervention here Father we thank you for your shed blood that was shed for us and for the sins of all we ask you to forgive our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness we thank you Lord that there's no law against righteousness that when we stand in your righteousness and yours alone that we know that 
that we are heard. We know that we are uh, received. We know that you hear and answer everything. We know that we have the petitions that we are seeking and we have the requests that we are making. So we thank you, Lord, for blessing us to know everything will work out fine for us. We thank you, Lord, that we know everything that we ask for these people will come to pass for them. We know that we can ask boldly, that we can ask confidently, that we can ask in a way that we know, that we know, that we know that you will answer according to how we have asked. So we thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, to release these people from oppression in the Sudan, Eritrea. We thank you, Lord, for Helen's healing. We thank you, Lord, for releasing imprisoned evangelists in Ethiopia in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that there will come divine decree to release prisoners who are um, who are unjustly imprisoned. So we thank you for the release of these individuals in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for protection for the ones who are in prison. We thank you, Lord, that we submit to God and resist the devil and he must flee. We command you, Satan, to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. We resist retaliation against our accusers. We forgive and we love those who accuse us and so we are serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. We thank you, Father. Behold their threatening and stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. We declare that the way of the ungodly shall perish. We said let them fall by their own counsels. Thank you, Lord. Judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that is in us. Let the mischief of those who persecute us return upon their own head. Keep us as the apple of the eye. All of the people that we pray for and all of these persecuted nations, Lord, keep us as the apple of your eye and hide us under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching our hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies and their threats against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against us without a cause and who hate us. It is time for you to work, Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know that's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord our God. Help your people. Help all of your persecuted people and save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty terrible one. Therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And we thank you Father. We thank you that those who live godly will suffer persecution but not unto death. We thank you Lord to release them from the power of death and from the power of destruction in the name of Jesus. We thank you Lord for setting people free from Muslim extremism. Father I thank you that we will convert many of those people who are imprisoned by Muslim ideology to the gospel of Jesus Christ for they are imprisoned themselves and don't even know it. So we thank you Lord for the ability to speak wisdom the ability to seek open doors 
force to share Christ with people. The ability to come forth as pure gold even when we are persecuted and maligned. So we thank you, Lord, for blessing us and helping us and keeping us, giving us understanding, giving us power, giving us resolve to stay with the fight until we receive victory on behalf of these people, Lord. We thank you for what you are doing, Father. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We lift you up. Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be adored. You're worthy to be glorified and magnified. Lord, you are high and lifted up. You are high and lifted up. You are high and lifted up above all gods, and we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne of majesty on high. There is none greater, Lord. So we bow down and we worship you. We come before you, and we thank you for hearing and answering our prayers according to your word. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, 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 and amen again. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 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 Thank you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. We honor you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. We love you. Our meat is to do your will, O oh God. We thank you. Thank you that we can do your will, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. We praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Magnify you and extol you, O God. Thank you, Lord. We lift you up. 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 You're worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. 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 We glorify you, Lord. High and lifted up. You're high and lifted up. You are high and lifted up, and your train fills the temple, Lord. Thank you that your train of your glory fills this temple, Lord. That your train fills the temple, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name, Jesus. We praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Miss Wanda, why don't you put on a little worship music? If somebody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you and